Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, this is The Bright Side with Technisha. A daily broadcast on real-life issues that will keep you motivated. And now, here's your host, Technisha. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm back with you on another episode of The Bright Side with Technician. I'm your host, Technician. Today is September 9th, 2014, and we are here on another blessful day. And I hope everyone's week is starting off pretty good, right? I hope so. Yesterday you stuck in there with me in the morning time, so I really do appreciate that. But now we're back to our regular schedule, and we're going to get things running and starting. So I hope you got on your running shoes as usual, had your breakfast and your coffee, Let's get it. Now, for all you business people out there who don't know which way to go, going left field, right field, kind of need the answer to everything, or you just looking for a faster way to land new clients for your business, looking for the approach to just making that phone call, what to actually say, what not to do when you make that phone call, where I got that answer to everything. Everything is a yesterday on this show because you know it's bright, you know it's motivating, so here we go. You're going to really enjoy this because I have with me my guest, Diana Snydman, and today she's going to unveil her new book to us, Real Skills, Real Income, a proven marketing system to land well-paid freelance and consulting work in 30 days or less. And we will be telling you where you could purchase her version of this book from. I mean, the advice and guidance in Diana's book is based on her many years of experience as a self-employed professional so Diana has found everything from the realistic, practical approach to sales and marketing, which is very refreshing, and I want it to be refreshing to you too. Do call in at 347-426-3751. The chat box will be open up just for you. So welcome, Diana. Glad to have you on the show today. It's an honor. I think it's very refreshing that we can get this started because this is very keen to many people out here who really want to start a business of their own. Well, thank you, Technici. I'm glad to be here because I think this book and my information can help a lot of people. Right, and that's what my show is all about, news and motivation. Before we get actually started into your book and maybe the steps to become a freelancer or consultant, what actually prompts you to start your business? I started my business because originally I was unemployed and I had young children at home and I wanted to be able to work at home. And I kept my business going because at various times I had full-time jobs and then they'd fall apart and I'd lose my job. So I started all over again with my freelancing and consulting work. So I've gone at this several different times. Oh, wow. So, um, was it easy just to get into or you just had to work your way into it? it? It was work every time because each time I had a job, I lost a lot of my freelance clients and I lost a lot of my momentum with my business. So it was almost like starting from scratch each time. So, it, yeah, it was a lot of work. Right. They always say anything that you want, you actually have to work at it. So the question is, why become a freelancer or consultant? 
I see basically two reasons. The first is the pleasure and the freedom and the flexibility of freelancing and consulting. It can be a very it's it's hard work. Let's not kid ourselves. It is hard work and you have to put a lot of time into it. But you have a certain level of flexibility as to how you dress, what hours you work, where you work, what services you provide. And that makes it a joy to be a freelancer or consultant. But the other side, the flip side of the story is that a lot of jobs are getting much worse. A lot of workplaces are getting really worse. They're getting, um, they're letting people go much more easily, so you have even less, um, you have less commitment coming towards you. You have more rules. You have capricious rules that are changing all the time. You have greater restrictions, and it's just worse all the time to work for other people. It is, and a lot of people, it's not that you don't want the extra income, it's just, as we said before, it's the work. You think about everything that you have to put into it, but you're right, because I go through the same situation. I'm, I'm just tired. I love what I do, but at the same time, I want more income and then it boils down to, oh, well, if I, if I want more income, then I have to work at it. Never took class, classes on business at all. So it is. It's so confusing, and that's why I'm glad that you're here. Maybe that you can boil it down to where it's not sounding so bad. It's still going to be work, but it won't, it won't sound too bad for you to actually do it. Now, I love your website, Stand Up Eight Times, and I think that you mainly – and it's about resilience. Is that why you chose that title? Yeah. It's based on an old Japanese proverb, fall down seven times, stand up eight. So, yeah, it's about resilience, and that's what it takes to be a freelancer or consultant or self-employed. I, do, I will have to agree with you on that, Diana, because you have to fall in order to build back up. you got to crawl before you actually walk. So that is a great proverb to actually live by. So what types of work do freelancers and consultants do? Well, freelancers and consultants do anything almost that you can do at a regular job working for other people. Almost any type of skill can be changed or transformed into a freelance career. And mm -hmm. so the first place to look where you're deciding what to do is to look at what you did at your last good job and see if you can translate that in some way into self-employment. So okay. it works for almost everything. And if you don't know, you've done stuff, but you don't know what you call that job, you could be a virtual assistant. And a, a virtual assistant, virtual means, you know, from a distance, you do it by the Internet and by phone. And assistant, you do all the kinds of things that need to be done in an office, some people schedule travel, or they um, manage calendars, or they do websites, or they do um, they manage people's emails, or they specialize in a certain industry. So that's sort of a catch-all category for all sorts of services that you can offer. Okay, and this I heard about this before virtual assistant, and this profession is actually growing in centralized economies, right? I'm sorry? 
Oh, I said I heard about virtual assistants before, and they said that the profession is growing in centralized economies with the flying, fly staffing practices. Oh yeah, it's definitely growing because, um, in addition to companies, another market for virtual assistants is other freelancers for people working in their home, rather than having other people come into their house to work for them. They find assistance from a distance and have these other people working with them. So it's it's really growing in all phases of the economy. Wow. Oh, boy, that sounds like a lucrative business. You just have to be willing to want to do it. But it sounds like it's very profitable if you get into it. So how do you create a freelance or a consulting practice from scratch, though? Well, I've got three steps. The first step is you have to decide what service you're going to offer. And the best way to do this is to look at what you've done in the past and try and interpret that as a self-employment route. Now, what some people do instead is they, they figure out what their passion is and uh, base their job on that. And that might be right for some people. I'm not knocking it. But if you're not sure what you want to do, it's easiest to look back at what you've already done because you probably have a network in place and you have the experience. And you're going to be doing this by yourself from your own house. You're not going to have any coworkers to help you figure out what to do. So it's easiest if you do something you've already done. And then the second step is you've got to start contacting people and the way I favor doing this is to give them a phone call. And the great thing about phoning is it doesn't take all that much preparation. So you can figure out what your message is, get on the phone, and start calling people. And, you know, we're saying now that sales is about building relationships. And what better way is there to build a relationship than to pick up the phone and call the person? So that's step number two, getting in, getting in touch with your best prospects as directly as possible. And then the third step is to get real. Some people think they're going to make one contact or one phone call, and that's all it's going to take. But you have to think about big numbers. It's going to take quite a few contacts, quite a few phone calls or whatever method you use in order to start getting work. And so you might as well do a lot of those every day and speed up the whole process. Right. Now, Diana, you brought me to something that most people sometimes hate doing, and that's making and answering those calls. I mean, your heart starts racing. You get that shortness of breath when you know you got to make that phone call. You can talk to your best friend all day probably, but when it comes to a business call, you start getting that phone call so how do you handle making phone calls? Do you avoid the telephone or, or procrastinate about making the call, or can you just go about doing email? Well, technician, all of the above, and you explained it so well. Yeah, a lot of people, probably almost everyone, the first time they start making phone calls feels this this ache in the pit of their stomach, and they th they're thinking, I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish I didn't have to do this. But you're right. Everybody does know how to talk on the phone. Everybody's got hours and hours of experience at it. 
And really, we all have experience in talking people into doing what we want to do over the phone. If you want to see a certain movie, you call up your friend and you talk them into it. So you might say we all have phone experience involving sales. Now, in order to make these calls, it helps to get in the right mind frame. But really the most important thing is to start doing it. And the first one, the first few, will be scary. But after a while, it becomes very comfortable. In fact, for me, it got so easy that I found myself preferring to make phone calls rather than sitting down and doing the actual work that I had signed on to do. So you you have to know what you're going to say somewhat. And it helps sometimes at the beginning to start with a script, but over time you're not going to want to follow your script exactly because it sounds too stiff. So you're going to just get more and more comfortable telling pretty much the same thing to to everybody you talk to. Okay. Now, I heard of cold calling. What exactly is that? Well, cold calling is a term that is widely used, and a lot of people use it to mean phoning, and they call all phoning for work to be cold calling. To be more accurate and more precise, cold calling is when you're calling total strangers. Warm calling is when you're calling somebody you know or when you have some type of relationship or some type of tie to them. And really what I'm talking about is always a form of warm calling because you've picked out who you're going to call and there's somebody in your industry or who needs your kind of work. You've got a reason for choosing this person to call. So it's not like working all the way through the white pages. You're going for the right people, and so every call is really a warm call. And by the way, what I'm talking about here is working for other businesses, which is called B2B, business-to-business marketing. And there are restrictions on calling individuals, and there's lists, there's do-not-call lists. This does not apply to businesses. You are allowed to call businesses. Okay. Okay, so you can call businesses, but it just can't be an individual. Right, yeah, you can call businesses, but you and you call, can call individuals who own businesses. If they if they list that as their business number, you can call them. Okay, okay, and uh, it sounds 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 um, detailed enough for you not to do that. But that's what I want to ask Diana. Why can't you call an individual? Is there any restrictions to that? To calling individuals? Well, there's a do not call list. And uh, another thing you want to do is you want to be careful about the hours you call. There's a lot of people who say that you should call very early because executives get into the office very early uh, or they stay late, and they stay later than the people who work for them so that you have a better chance of getting a hold of them. And I disagree with this. I think uh, I think people come in early or stay late for very specific purposes, and I think calling during non-work hours makes you a nuisance. I only call people during actual work hours. Right. 
Well, I do thank you for that tip, Diana. And it would make sense because usually up in the morning time, people, it's better to me because that's the time people want to get things done. They want to hurry up, explain what you got to explain, and I'm ready to get off on the phone. Unlike if you're talking to them in the evening, you're more relaxed. Now it feels like they're yakking your ear off. So, yeah, that would make better sense to just do it in the morning. Now, what should you not do while cold calling? What you shouldn't do is doing something else at the same time. And this is easy to fall into because you're going to get a lot of voicemail. You're going to get a lot of voicemail. And so it's easy to start sipping coffee and working on other things while the phone rings and all this kind of stuff. And then every so often somebody's on the line and you like almost choke on your coffee. It's like, wow, there's a person. I've got to talk to them. So it's best if you really focus on it, you put everything aside, and just sit there and work your list. Okay. Now, can you um, give us some tips for warming up while cold calling, Diana? How to warm them up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, you prob- the great thing about phoning is that you can adjust your message for every call. In contrast, if you're sending out letters or something, or emails or something like that, you tend to write one like almost perfect letter and then just send out the same thing because it's easier that way. But when you're phoning, you can change your message for everybody you talk to. And so you think of what warms it up when you call them. Sometimes it's that you have a qualification that relates to their industry and you lead with that or maybe you're the member of the same organization as them, or maybe you're the member of the same LinkedIn group as they are, or maybe you've met them, um, or maybe you got their name from someone else. So you lead with these kind of things that relate directly to the person so they have some idea either of where you got their phone number or why they should talk to you or why you're qualified. Okay. Now, even if the um, – I did a little research, and they said even if the response was no, you should keep in contact, send thank you notes, a brochure, an email, a letter, even another call. Your follow-up method will depend on how the initial cold call went. Well, you know, if they say no, it depends how they say no. If some people okay. say, don't call me again, and then I don't call them again, mm-hmm. some uh-huh. people say – some people say they never use freelancers, and then I don't call them again. It's easy to find a lot of people to call. So if somebody's pretty negative, just take them off the list, you know. Go on and find other people. Um, what's more common is that you leave a message on their voicemail. They don't call back, so you kind of think, oh, they're not interested. And then you call back well, maybe a week later, and it's clear they don't even remember your message. They might have just deleted everything really fast without finding out what it was. So it doesn't matter that they didn't respond. Okay. Now, if, what if they don't remember your message? Did you kind of refresh them on who you are again? Yeah, yeah. Now, that's sort of an interesting question. When you call, do you say, I'm following up, or do you say, or you just approach it like it's fresh? 
generally, I don't even ask them if they remember my message. If they remembered my message and they wanted to talk to me right away, they would have called back. So I just start out from fresh, you know, because they probably won't remember it. And sometimes if it's if it was pretty recent, if I just called them a few days before, I might say, um, I called you and I'm calling back because, and then I go into my message so I don't ask them if they remember me because it's kind of awkward if they don't, and it's, and they probably don't. So, right now I know down in your line of experience, you probably have been in the business where someone gave you that response. I can get somebody cheaper. Oh wow, that's higher than we budgeted. So, what do you do when you get a prospective client and you get that type of response? Okay, that's that's the million-dollar question. What do you do when somebody says, I can find someone cheaper? And I like to get more information. Not necessarily. I'm not highly optimistic that I'm going to talk people into paying a lot more because I know that there's people paying very low rates for the kind of work, not the kind of, for what seems like the kind of work I do, it's not the kind of work I do, but, you know, they think it, it is. And I know that there's people paying very low rates, and I'm not going to compete on the basis of price, so I don't um, so I don't go at it with that perspective. But sometimes I'll say something like, well, what were you thinking of, or what's been your experience, or something like that. Because uh, I just like to get more information about what the situation is and what's going on out there. Uh, sometimes, oftentimes, they are getting work done at a lo- at a much lower rate, but it's not being done very well. In which case, I'll talk about how I do my services and how I offer higher quality, and you know the, the way I do it so that I achieve high quality. And, uh, you know, sometimes that convinces them. Uh, you're going to find people who say, I can find it cheaper. But the last thing you want to do is compete on the basis of price because some people are having work done very, very inexpensively, and you don't want to be the low-cost provider. Right. I, I, will, I will have to disagree on that. You don't, you don't want to run them Oh, wait, they're already probably thinking one thing, but then you make it worse by saying, okay, this is, well, this is what I consider. So, you know, if they, if they choose, let them go ahead and make their decision, back away, give them some breathing space, and then maybe they'll probably end up coming back to you, but you've got to give them breathing space. You can't force yourself upon them. So I do understand that. Now, are freelancers and consultants born to this lifestyle, or can they develop the skills to pursue it? I think that anyone can do it. You're going to, if you look online, you're going to see quizzes that say, you know, is freelancing right for you? And they're going to ask a lot of questions that your answer might be no to. Like, uh, did, you, did you sell door-to-door as a child? Did you enjoy selling magazine subscriptions? Did you have a lemonade stand? Uh, you know, all these questions about your past. And those really aren't relevant at all. That's a very hard form of selling. And when you're a kid, you're not really prepared for that kind of thing. Very few kids can carry off that kind of thing. And so if those are the questions you're asking yourself, you're going to get very discouraged. The 
big question is, why are you doing this? Why do you want to be a freelancer or consultant? And if you have your reason, you can you can make it work. Some people, you know, um, want greater flexibility, or they need greater flexibility for family, or they're not doing well in the job market, or whatever it is, and they just decide this is the route I'm going to go. I'm going to make it work, and most anybody can make it work if they want to. Right, you can. It's either you pursue your passion or you just want to make money, and I think that should be the main two factors when you're going into this because a lot of people just want to make quick money. They don't figure they have enough money to do it. They don't have the time to do it. So there's the biggest, some of those are the biggest things stopping you from actually starting a side business. So if you're going to start it, number one, I think you should just have that passion about it. This is what I really want to go into because, you can make money all day, but if there's no passion, no enthusiastic about it, then it's just going to plumb right fail for me. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I agree, yeah. Now, yeah. Um, now what, all, what type of experiences do you have in sales, Diana? Well, I myself had no experience, well, very little experience in sales, when I started freelancing, and mm-hmm. I don't think you need experience in sales. Everybody does it for the first time, sometimes, so oh. it might as well be now. You know, you can't beat yourself up for the kind of experience that you don't have. You just go for it and give it a try. Right, because I don't have, I don't have no, I wouldn't say skills and sales because that's what I do. I'm a server. So I sell you items, and people always tell me, they say, y'all, you should go into sales. And I'm like, well, I didn't, I really didn't take up courses for that. But I guess it is, it is simple. I, I think just the personality goes along with it. And if you could convince somebody all day, then that is part of sales, convincing somebody, just to bring them on in, let them know this is what I want. I'm pursuing you to do this. I'm not asking. I'm telling you. And that's kind of what I do in my line of work. I don't ask you, do you want this wine? I'm going to tell you about this wine. I'm going to suggest it to you, not ask. Because asking, you're you're giving them a choice then. Oh, well, uh, I don't know. I might go with this cocktail now because now you're going to open up the option board for them. So uh, maybe one day I'll probably think about it and stop buying my nails on it and Actually, just get into it. It's a great little option to go to. So what are some of the biggest mistakes people make once they get their freelance or consulting practice up and running? The biggest, pe- the biggest mistake that people make is that they don't keep marketing because you, you get to a point where you're busy with work, with paying work, and so you don't want to take time out to do marketing, and you just feel like you're really busy. And then what happens is you finish up all the work that you've been given, and then you have this dead space. So then you have to start marketing from scratch again. So you can't, if you want to stay consistently busy, you have to keep marketing all the time, and yet you'll be marketing during periods when you're really busy already. So that's the ongoing problem of freelancing and consulting. And you don't have another boss to take this up with. 
you know, if you were at the office, you could say to your boss, I'm busy, what should I do first, you know, and let them prioritize. But when you're self-employed, you have to do the prioritizing yourself. So it can be a little pressuring. Right. And it's crazy out here because things are actually changing in technology. So marketing is a main factor. you got to know how to attract and engage and grow all of that. And a lot of people don't want to keep up with that because, I mean, years ago, you can make a phone call to Pizza Hut and say, oh, let me order a pizza. Now they have apps out just for that. So marketing is very valuable, and that's why they, these smartphones are becoming important now because that's our only tools for payments and coupons to gaming platforms and your cameras. All your devices is on this communication. So you really have to keep up with it. And, and if you slip, then you slip, and that's bad for business. You don't want to slip. You gotta be. They told me you have to actually just be. You gotta be a biting dog out here in this field, Diana. It, it's not. <laughs> it's in cream. You got to be willing to get it, or you just lose it. So true. So true. You've got to keep on top of things. Yeah. Right. There's a word on saying still for you. It's like a. It's almost like the Harlem Shake, for example. You just gotta. Take advantage of all these trends. You got to stay relevant. Keep your brand out there because if not, if somebody will, somebody's going to outdo you. You got to keep everything updated. Just like I have to when I do my Facebook page, I try to stay up on point because it's always competition. Somebody's always they're they're doing work while you're sleeping, and I think that's why so much in these foreign countries they're advanced because while we, while sometimes we're sleeping, they're up. They're doing their research, they know what's going on. They're they're your competition. You have to just be ready. So when it comes to all this, Diane, they say 10 of new sales are made after the fifth contact, yet the majority of salespeople give up after maybe the second call. Now, do you find that to be true? Um. I have been working more from the basis of quantity than persistence of contact. Uh, But you're right. You know, I I generally put together a long list and call a lot of people fewer times. But I've I've seen that data, too, and I'm sure that there is something to it, Multiple, multiple contacts, multiple phone calls, or perhaps contacting them in different ways, like a newsletter and a phone call and an email and Facebook, you know. Yeah, you're right. It takes persistence. It does. But you don't want, I guess you don't want to be a a nagging Nancy on the phone just constantly pursuing them 24-7. It should be just a little leeway, but you don't want to just nag them so much. So what are the limitations on just really making a phone call to maybe just a few people over and over because it's kind of like a business. You go, well, kind of like a job. You go apply for a job, you wait, but you don't want to keep nagging them. Oh, did you get my application? Did you look it over? Because then they get annoyed and be like, okay, I'm I'm throwing your application away because now you get on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, you know, it differs depending on what your field is and what service you offer and a lot of factors. And so everybody's style is going to be a little different 
depending on what kind of work they're doing and what their personality is. And so you get into this by making phone calls or responding to jobs online or whatever you're going to do. And then you develop your own system and you find what's comfortable for you and you experiment. So you would give you know several phone calls and you see if that gets a better result or if it's not okay. working at all. I think the thing about phoning is everybody's got um, caller ID now. So... Um, and they've got voicemail, and they know how to work it now. So people, that's one of the things about calling people repeatedly. They know it's you. So I think I think probably in the past you needed more phone calls and you were less of a bother with making more phone calls than today. But that's a, a real generalization. It's going to be what you feel comfortable with, and what works for your business. Right. All makes sense. Perfect sense. And just to even make more sense, we're going to go to a commercial break, and we're going to come back with Diana Snyman, and we're going to talk about ways to create just that job security for yourself and also getting into talking about her book. So stay tuned. Do not be sat down. We'll be right back. There's only one station that will keep you happy. Blog Talk Radio. We're taking more of your calls at 347-426-3751. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this commercial break. Some would call 88-year-old Sally Jackson a lucky senior. A few years ago, a family member offered to move in and care for Sally so that she wouldn't have to leave the comfort of her own home. But soon after, one of Sally's neighbors, Carol, paid a visit, unannounced. Something wasn't quite right. Sally's demeanor and physical appearance had changed. Luckily, Carol was aware of warning signs that might signal elder abuse. Such as bruises, poor hygiene, isolation, depression, appearing withdrawn or unusually quiet as if to hide something. When victimized, elderly people often feel ashamed, confused. But an alert neighbor helped Sally. Not all abused seniors are as lucky as Sally Jackson. Across the crime dog here, the National Crime Prevention Council wants to help you and your loved ones prevent elder abuse. Know what to look for. Know how to report it to local law enforcement agencies. To learn more, go to www.ncpc.org. That's ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Department of Justice. All right. Welcome back to the Bright Side with Technicia, and we're here with Diana Snodman, who is a freelancer and a consultant. Now, Donna, let's get into how we can actually create job security for the ones who are freelancers and are consultants. The way you keep create security is that you do a lot of marketing. So you keep getting clients, and you make your current clients happy so that they come back to you for more work. Um, I once heard it said that freelancing and consulting, you give up, you take on the illusion of freedom, and you give up the illusion of security. So it seems like you have more security when you have a regular job with a regular paycheck, but they can let you go at any time. And so really you can create more security for yourself through self-employment. And any time 
that you feel insecure or you feel like you might lose one of your clients or something's not going right, then you do more phone calls or whatever you're doing to get clients and you just get more work. Right. Well, it's, it's hard for some people because, as you said before, they don't want to go. They don't want to go down that road. They're tired of probably. They're desperate, and and it's hard for them. But as you said, if you don't stick to the marketing, it, it gets it drains you. But if you don't stick to the marketing, it can just really that job security is gone. And that goes for any business. If if the Marriott where I work at, if they don't stick to marketing, then the Hilton and the the Western will be doing outdoing them. So they have to stick to these market strategies every day. And it's it's stressful. I can imagine it probably is. I've never done business, but just even talking to you about it, it feels like it just drains you every single day just to know that you got to stay on top of your A game. Well, that's true, but it also inspires you. It inspires you because you have something you can do to control your destiny. And when you work for somebody else and you think that there might be layoffs, a lot of times you feel like there's really nothing you can do for it except wait and see what happens. And so it's also invigorating to feel like you can influence your future. You can somewhat control it. It is. And then when you really think about it, if you can just picture yourself in that future where you can have all these things, because that's one thing about the universe. It's all about law of attraction, and it always gives it gives back. It has our back. And it's not disappointing. The power is in trusting and taking at least one small action each day towards your goals, basically. So that's how I see it. You have to have a, you gotta have a bigger picture, and you always have to be positive. If you're not going to be positive about it, then there's no point. You can't focus on your fears or where the money will come from, and I think that's a lot of times where most people end up failing. You're worrying about where the money's going to come from, or oh, this business won't work out. Well, it's not. Not if you not if you say not negative vibes, it, it won't. You got to be positive going into business. You got to know for yourself. If don't nobody else believe in you, you better believe in yourself. That's the main goal to me if you're going to go into business. Oh, I so much agree with you. One of the challenges of self-employment is you have to keep your mood positive. And, yes. you know, you, depending on your job, you can go in and sit down at the desk, and they'll tell you what to do, and they'll give you the work. Mm-hmm. And right. you can be a little down, and you can still get through the work, and, you know, it might not matter. But when you're self-employed, you've got to get out there, and you've got to market, and you've got to provide a high level of service. And if you're just sort of sitting at your desk, low-key and depressed, it's not good. It's, your business will not succeed. So mm-hmm. in addition to thinking positive, and I totally, totally agree with that, you've got to back it up with a system so that every day you do a little bit of marketing and you have this process where you keep doing it. So every day when you sit down at your desk, you don't have to think from scratch, well, gee, what am I going to do today? Because you have a system in place and you know what to do and you do it. Right. And I was reading about a young lady online who said that that her ultimate goal is to be a full-time travel writer and author. So she created a business plan for a corporation, me. And it included all the amount of money each month, her feature magazines, and she just had to save 
positive, and that's the main thing. We have the power to choose our happiness, regardless. I go to work sometime, and I be in situations that this don't work out for me, but nobody's going to steal my sunshine. That's one thing. You're not going to steal my sunshine. I'm not going to let you do that because that's, then I'm giving you the power. So, no. I mean, we can bring our own happiness by choosing to follow our hearts and listen to our inner voice, or you can just sit there and soak. And that's, I choose not to do that. Now, um, earlier, Diana, you mentioned about uh, Facebook. Now, you recommend also not turn to Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter to find your first clients. Why? It's, a, it's different for everybody, but generally speaking, what I'm most interested in is how to get your first clients. And I help people get their first clients in 30 days. And if you don't already have something going that relates to the service that you offer on any of these services, it's going to take more than 30 days to get anything going because Facebook and all the others are about building relationships. And it takes time to build relationships. You don't just post once or twice and you have a relationship. So it's going to take time. And I found that telephoning gives you a faster start. So you might want to supplement that with Facebook, especially if you already have a list. If you already have a big list of acquaintances, one of the first things you would do is post what your business is on Facebook and tell people that you're looking for clients, and then, you know, your friends will probably have some ideas for you or they might need your services. So it it can help you, but it also depends on how strong your Facebook presence already is. If it's just a few family members, it's going to take a while to build it up so that it can really support your business by selling your services to people that you don't already know. Right. And also, people get lazy when they do social media. You think, oh, I'm just going to do social media. That's it. I'm going to retweet. That's it. We get caught up. We become like social zombies. I think that people have lost the whole concept of communicating. People don't like to do it anymore. We'd rather text than to call you on the phone. I'd rather like your page instead of calling you and tell you, hey, how are you doing? I saw your page on Facebook, so what's going on? We don't, we're not passionate enough. We're not, we're not very vigilant, vigilant enough, you know, people. And it's okay. I, I don't knock social media because I do it too, and it's a great way to probably find your audience, but at the same time, we need to start getting back out to what we actually started off with before any technology started. Go back to like Paul Revere, what he had to do. He had to go all the way across many miles just to communicate a message, just to communicate that message. So we need to get back to that point, not not walk all the way to get to somebody, but just get back to the start of things. Call somebody. Go to their house face-to-face if, if it's safe and you don't get shot. But, you know, go to the point where we actually did face-to-face communication. That's the connection that we're losing to me. Well, you make a great point. You're right. There's something... Um... There's something sometimes sort of lazy, but also if you're really going to sell your services, you have to post things that relate to what you do. Just, yeah. you know, photos of what you had at the restaurant for lunch is not going to make somebody 
pay you to do something for them. Right. <laughs> right. You got you to gotta target your audience. You got to know who's actually on social media. Um, and I think these are just great tips that anybody can follow to make sure that they don't end up looking like that zombie and instead enjoy a thriving social media presence for years to come. So you got to pay attention to your target audience and what they need and focus on the ways you're making sure that those needs are filled. Because if you're going to be selling like, like you're doing, Diana, you're talking about sales, so your book is focused on that. You're not going out preaching another word and doing something differently. It's both you are, what Barry White said, what you're preaching, that's exactly what you're doing. So people, they got to discover ways to just generate more leads from their website and really get it on out there and focus. Now, that brings me to this point, though. Because you do have an awesome book out, and I, lo- I love it. It's, it's just focused right on sales, Diana, So, which is um, everyone. Her name of the book is Real Skills, Real Income, a proven marketing system to land well-paid freelance and consulting work in 30 days or less. And I love it. It's precise, 30 days or less. If you don't get it in 30 days or less, then something's wrong. So what brought you to writing this book? I wrote this book because I saw so many people who need it. This book is for people who want to freelance or consult permanently, but it's also for people who are unemployed and want to start bringing in money because the system is quick to put in place so you can start getting freelance work while you're also looking for a full-time job. And I just there were so many people that I was meeting who were pretty sad and discouraged and down and hopeless, and I wanted to shake them by the shoulders and tell them what to do, but, you know, you can't just go around doing that to people. So I wrote a book. (laughs) So instead, I hope they read my book and know what to do. And I made the book very low cost. That's why I put it on Kindle, so that people who are unemployed or underemployed can afford the book and get what they need so that they can make some money. Now, of course, your book has two unique features that make it especially useful to people who do not already have a large clientele. One is the 15 fast actions to put all your business pieces in place on day one. Diana, if you don't mind just going through probably just a few of those, or we could do all of them, whichever one you consider. Okay. Let me, let me find the right page. This will just take the second. Mm-hmm. I think I should put a bookmark in this page. I think that'd be a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's the, here it is. Now the first thing you should do is um, determine what service you offer because okay. it should be what you. I suggest doing what you did at your last good job, but you know there's exceptions. Maybe you. Maybe there's something that you love to do in your real life that would fit, like, uh, I don't know, dog walking or managing people's Facebook pages or whatever. So first you decide what service you want to offer, and you give yourself a job title. And it doesn't have to be one of these creative job titles like they use at Disneyland. Just pick out a title, you know, one or two words that people sort of know what it means and Give that self, give that to you as your title, and then I think the next step probably is to update your Facebook, your uh, LinkedIn profile, 
because you're offering yes. your services to businesses. So it's like where you put your resume. You put it on LinkedIn. And then you create a signature for your email, and it uses the kind of thing that's already on your resume or the stuff that you've just thought up, you know, like your job title, that kind of thing. Uh, you put that signature on all your email. Uh, should I keep going? Oh, yes. Please do, Diana. Okay. Well, then I think you can develop a little logo for yourself, but your first logo should be just very simple, something that you come up with in a few minutes. Some people think that the starting point is to hire a designer and come up with an expensive logo. And if you haven't made any money yet, you don't want to spend money on a logo. And wow. then uh, uh, create a business card and... You just decide what information you're going to have on your business card, and then you either go to the office supply store and you buy a box of blank business cards, or you go to something like Vistaprint, V-I-S-T-A-P-R-I-N-T dot com, and go for the free or low-cost models and just have yourself a card. Um, uh, make a new message for your voicemailer answering machine. Uh, you're going to be collecting the names and contact information of everybody you contact, so you put together a little form on your computer so you can keep track of this stuff. You think about what you're going to tell people. And uh, I use an email form thing that I follow up with. After I talk to somebody, I send them an email, so I write that out in advance. And... Uh, I think about who am I going to call it first, make out my first calling list. I think about how much I want to charge per hour. Uh, I briefly contact people on like Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn that, that are my community and let them know what I'm doing. And then the last step is to join an online forum where you can get input from people who do the same thing as you and this is typically a LinkedIn group or a Yahoo group or something like that. That's kind of optional. But you can put these things in place really quickly because, you know, everything can be changed, and that's the beautiful thing about the Internet and about computers. You can keep changing things. So don't sweat over any of this stuff. It's just a first step. And then as you start offering your service, you'll have a lot more ideas about how to improve all these things, and so you can improve things over time. Right. And also you talk about the 17 widely recommended marketing tools to take off your to-do list for the next month and perhaps far into the future. And these activities seldom yield substantial results in 30 days and take, a, take time away from faster acting marketing. That's absolutely true. <laughs> this is the best part of the whole book. This is all the stuff not to do. Because if you start researching online what you should do to build your business, you'll go crazy. You'll see so right. many things to do that you can't possibly do them all. And so you always feel like you're, you're behind. And what they're called online is BSOs, Bright Shiny Objects. And okay. <laughs> You know, it's like all these gems are lying out there, but if you try and pick them all up, you'll just not get anything done that really makes you any money. So the first thing I believe you should not do is a business plan, and I know you have you know people who have succeeded by writing a business plan, and that's fine. These are just 
things that you might want to consider not doing, and everybody's business is a little bit different, so you've got to adapt these for yourself. But if you're really unemployed or you've got the time today to start reaching out to people, um, you've got to do a streamlined list of activities so you're ready to start making these calls. And so you might want to think twice about doing a business plan if you don't really know what your business is going to be like yet. And then the second thing to postpone is market research. Some people think they should do a lot of research to see if there's a need before they start actually offering the service. But marketing research doesn't bring in money. Now, there's an exception. If you're going to like offer a product and you have to invest in the product, then you might want to do pro- uh, marketing research because you don't want a big inventory of stuff in your house if you don't think you can sell it or if it turns out you can't sell it. But if you're offering a service, you don't really need to do marketing research before you really offer the service. Uh, Some people, before they call, they want to do a lot of research. Don't do research because a lot of times you'll just get voicemail. So you won't have anybody to discuss all this research with. You can really waste a lot of time on research. Uh, Some people think that you should find specific problems and propose a solution. Well, you shouldn't do all that work on any one company or any one person unless they have some level of interest because you can exhaust yourself researching what they should do and you might never get them on the phone, so don't put that much effort into one person. Some people think they need the perfect elevator speech, you know, and they practice and practice and practice what they're going to say about Mm -hmm. themselves. Well, you don't need this on day one. There's a lot of things that are nice to have, but you don't have to have them on day one. And if you're just sitting at your kitchen table thinking about how you should introduce yourself and writing out scripts and throwing them out and starting over, that's not going to bring in any money. That's just going to drive you crazy, I think. Uh, networking meetings. You've got to be careful about networking meetings. It's got to be things where you meet people who might need your services, which doesn't mean you shouldn't go out socially. I mean, like, there's other reasons, like, to go to church or, um, you know, social events and that kind of thing. That's all well and good, and you might find clients there. But if you're going to networking meetings, they can be very time-consuming, and sometimes they just don't lead to the right kind of work. So be very cautious there. Also, they're expensive. Uh, some people think I say I was just about to tell I'm glad you're telling that because a lot of times because we don't we don't know sometimes where to go and we'd be thinking these things are helpful all the time so I'm glad you mentioned that about the network meeting right right some people think that they should hire other people to make phone calls for them uh, I don't think it's a good idea because it's going to cost money that's number one if you don't have any money if you're not making any money yet you don't want to spend money So that's one hot problem with hiring a telemarketer. And the other problem is you can do it better yourself. They don't know that much about what you offer. And when you make the calls yourself and somebody has a question, you can answer the question. So make your own calls. Some people think you need newsletters or blogs. Well, yeah, it's nice to have, but here's the thing about newsletters. Never start a newsletter unless you're absolutely sure you're going to keep going with it. 
a newsletter creates a relationship because you keep in touch with people. So maybe today you don't have any customers, so you've got plenty of time to do a newsletter and you send it out. But next month you might be busy and then you will quit doing the newsletter. And so it's not worth the effort unless you're really going to keep up with it. Uh, Some people say you should do public speaking. Well, yeah, that's a great marketing technique. That's something you might want to do. But the problem is you want to get work right away. It's going to be a few weeks between when you get the date and when you actually make the speech. So it's going to be a while before you make any money off of these speeches. Uh, Some people try print advertising. Print advertising really adds up. It can be very expensive and not very effective. Okay. Well, you know, your book already states that anyway um, about just starting out. You, too, can begin imperfectly. You can revise and improve anything as often as you want, even daily. And here's a new model for your new endeavor. Anything worth doing is worth starting imperfectly. So I think that's a great point just to start off with in the the story as well. So anybody's out there, please just pick up this book because it's going to eliminate a lot of stuff that you have been misinformed about on online because there's so much out there, just so much, and you don't know what's true and what's not. But before we go, Diana, how can listeners learn more about how to land great freelance and consulting clients and just to grab your book? My book, again, is called Real Skills, Real Income, A Proven Marketing System to Land Well-Paid Freelance and Consulting Work in 30 Days or Less. And it's available on Amazon, and you can get it either as a print book or you can get it as an e-book, a Kindle book. And by the way, people might not know this, but you can get the software to read an Amazon Kindle book on any electronic device, and you can get this software for free. And so that's a really inexpensive way to access the book, and then my website is StandUp8Times.com, and I've got uh, a newsletter there, and I've got a lot of articles. All right, well, Diana, it's been an honor for you to be on the show. I think you're a very engaging woman, and you speak the truth about a lot of things that people need to find out about. So I hope everybody, like I said, go out, get the book, check her out. She has her own blog, website, Stand Up um, 8 Times. Did I say it right, Stand Up 8 Times? Yep, that's com. it. Okay. So, hey, Stand Up, hey, what the song say? We fall down, but we get back up, and that's so I to thank you again for being on, and I really do hope that we could do this again. Well, thank you. You are so welcome. And before I leave you listeners, the truth for the day from my friend Mary Ellen is find all the, all the motivation you need within yourself. Even when others do not support your choices, you can move forward finding the motivation you need to succeed within you. Initiate new goals or projects as opportunities present themselves. Your enterprise will sustain you through times of doubt. Cast these thoughts of doubt aside and focus on the goals you have chosen to pursue. You are deserving of success and very capable of achieving it. Remember, you are on your own unique path. Today, resolve to draw strength from within rather than allow outside forces to stop you. 
Everyone, enjoy your day. Don't let anyone block you from your blessings. Thank you for tuning in to The Bright Side with Tanisha. Come back daily from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. God bless.